What's happening, guys? Sam Adams here, and welcome to a brand new episode of Caffeinated Today for July the 9th of 2019. Of course, for those that are brand new to the show, welcome on in, and this is a daily gaming news podcast that I actually missed yesterday. Today, we are recording, filming, podcasting in an entirely new apartment. It's a very exciting time, and yesterday's moving was very much so overwhelming. I had 30,000 steps on my Fitbit, and I still kind of want to die. But that's all beside the point. The gaming news is back, and the content should resume as normal, unless otherwise posted, which is pretty much as it's always been. Very exciting time nonetheless. But today we continue the discussion around G2A because the company is at it again, trying to salvage their poor reputation by making their reputation even poorer. It is incredible to watch this entire thing unfold. But we'll talk more about that, what exactly is happening with G2A. Then we move on to another rumor pegging The Last of Us Part 2 for February of 2020 with four different editions coming out for your hard-earned cash to be spent on. Then a new model of the Nintendo Switch is basically inevitable, but now we have some more details about what it very well could entail. And we've been talking about this story for the past couple of weeks, so this is more of an update than anything. But a, a 1080p display, more powerful than the current Nintendo Switch, which does sound to be a pretty promising addition to the Nintendo hardware lineup. Then we talk about Cyberpunk 2077 digital pre-orders on PC. A third of those have been made on GOG, which is pretty impressive for the company overall, considering that, hey, uh, it's GOG instead of something like Steam. Which, again, I'm not sure how those Steam keys are distributed or how keys are distributed on GOG, but still worth talking about here. Japan is getting a retail release of Tetris 99. Nintendo 64 Dino Hunter Turek is getting a new game. But don't hold your breath. It's not going to be the game that you want. Dr. Disrespect is back on Twitch, and finally I've got some ways to step up your shoe game because there are some pretty impressive kicks coming out soon from Nike that you might be interested in. But that's pretty much the lineup for today's show. And again, if you are brand new, I do hope you enjoy the program and that you do get some kind of joy, some kind of knowledge out of the daily content. And of course, subscribe if you do enjoy what you see. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's top stories. First off, G2A offered 10 outlets the chance to publish pre-written advertorials without disclosure. Now, for those that don't know, to publish something in the media without disclosing the fact that you actually have discussed the posting of the article with the company that is going to be discussed primarily in the article, that's a little bit against the rules. So now that you're caught up, let's dive into it. Gray market key reseller G2A has been in a PR tailspin for the last week, with developers and publishers telling people they should torrent their games instead of using the site. After attempting to clear the air about its business, more criticism followed, along with a petition started by publisher No More Robots that called for the company to cease selling indie keys. This week is off to an even worse start, if you can possibly even imagine that. Indie Games Plus writer Thomas Faust posted an email from G2A on Twitter where a rep for the company asked to cite, uh, excuse me, asked the site to publish a pre-written article claiming that selling stolen keys was impossible. The representative said that the article conjured up by a key reseller with a significant investment in the subject was unbiased. The real kicker, however, was the instruction that the post was not to be marked as a sponsored post. Quote, we have written an unbiased article about how selling stolen keys on gaming marketplaces is pretty much impossible, and we don't want to publish it on your website without being marked as sponsored or marked as associated with G2A, reads the email. It is a transparent and just review of the problem of stolen keys reselling. 
And so, of course, needless to say, that's against the rules. Posting advertorial and not clearly marking it as such as a breach of FTC rules in the U.S. and advertising standards authority regulations in the U.K. And this is pretty blatant. G2A hasn't denied or tried to defend, though it has attempted to absolve itself of responsibility by placing the blame on, you've guessed it, the person who sent the email. These emails were sent out by an employee without authorization. The response reads, for which we apologize to at and of course they mention the individual and nine other media outlets he sent this proposal to. He will face strict consequences as this is absolutely unacceptable. The shock and lack of accountability does not make the apology very convincing, but we are unlikely to see anything better. These things are always easier to brush aside when you've got one person in the perfect position to be a scapegoat. While you might not think twice about dismissing it when coming from a company trying to defend itself from accusations of selling illegally obtained keys from unaffiliated websites, it could go getting unearned legitimacy. And so that is the situation that we have today with G2A. And let me tell you, it's not a good situation to be in. Primarily, uh, it's just funny to me that we have a shitty situation coming from a shitty company and they try and backpedal in a shitty way by essentially writing a shitty article about their shitty business practices and the fact that they're supposedly not exactly illegal. I'm going to go ahead and chalk this one up and kind of tie it to the same rule that I use when I'm driving. Because, you know, whenever you pass a cop car and you say, oh no, a cop, and you suddenly slow down, you don't always have to do that. Do you know why? Because if you're not doing anything wrong, then you have nothing to worry about. Considering the fact that you are sending out an article that has been pre-written to defend yourself against the fact that keys are being resold in your name on these stores... You're probably doing something wrong. If you're defending yourself right out of the gate, then you're admitting that you have something to hide. And so that's exactly the point that I want to make here. G2A is not a good company to work with. It's been known for many, many years. Unfortunately, it is the cheapest way to get some game keys. And a lot of people that are in college, a lot of people that are uh, on the lower end of the income spectrum, whatever you want to say, they actually need to just use the service because they can't afford things any other way. It's a sad situation, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, G2A is just simply not a good company. There is nothing else to be said about it. Uh, and hopefully, they will learn something from this. Hopefully, they can turn things around. But also, the reputation of the company has been utterly destroyed. There is no chance of it ever coming back uh, to becoming something that is respectable in the gaming industry in my personal opinion. But if you are curious as to what exactly was happening with G2A, that's pretty much it, and it's not a pretty sight. It is not a pretty sight whatsoever. However, if you did want to play The Last of Us Part 2, it's coming out on PlayStation, and those keys are pretty scarce on G2A. But if you do want to play The Last of Us Part 2, you can pick it up on PS4 coming February 2020. The Last of Us Part 2's February release target, which has yet to be officially announced, is once again being suggested by a leak. Over the past few weeks, a number of reports and hints online have been leading us to believe The Last of Us Part 2 is due out next February, and this all started in May when the game reportedly switched places with Death Stranding, due out in November. Then, a couple of weeks later, Ellie actor Ashley Johnson stopped just short of confirming February as the game's release date. Now, a post on Chinese forum A9VG is suggesting the same thing. Thing. The post was translated by industry analyst Daniel Ahmed over on Reset Era, but the same user on A9VG revealed Death Stranding's November release date a couple of weeks before it was made official, according to the source. And so, it's a pretty respectable way to guess when The Last of Us Part 2 could be coming out. 
They also suggest the game will launch in four different editions. A standard, special collectors, and Ellie edition are all seemingly lined up. This may indicate that the February date is locked down internally at Sony, even if the public has yet to hear official word. Sony, of course, skipped E3, but there are plenty of events left during the year that the platform holder can choose to really go big on. The Last of Us Part 2. Failing that, a state of play live stream would also do the trick quite well. But for now, we just need to sit tight and see what happens. Besides, it's not like Q1 2020 is short on big games or anything. And that is the very much so truth, because guess what? There are a lot of games coming out in the first part of 2020. But February 2020, how do we feel about the release date of The Last of Us Part 2 if this is in fact to be believed? Pretty good time frame, I think. Of course, there is a lot coming out during that time, but The Last of Us is such a hotly anticipated game that I don't think that it could necessarily do any wrong. Obviously, I wouldn't put it out at the pinnacle of summer, but considering that you have a very busy spring season, considering next fall you are going to be seeing the next generation of consoles begin to be rolled out, I feel like spring is pretty much the last stop on the train. That was a horrible metaphor uh, for The Last of Us Part 2 if it did want to do well on the PlayStation 4. My big question here is, assuming that the PlayStation 5 is backwards compatible, how is that going to impact the sales of The Last of Us Part 2 on PS4? Because whenever The Last of Us came out, it was towards the end of the PlayStation 3's life cycle and things were beginning to wind down. But at the same time, you also had the remastered edition put out on the PlayStation 4 that became pretty much the basic edition of The Last of Us. People forget that the game was on on PS3 sometimes, and I'm wondering if they don't do the exact same thing with The Last of Us Part 2. What's to stop them from putting it out on the PlayStation 5 uh, in just a couple of months after the release on the PlayStation 4? Again, so many things up in the air, so many things you can ask, so many questions to be brought up, but none that can be answered as of today. So if you were curious as to when you could be getting your hands on The Last of Us Part 2, it looks like February 2020 is more than likely going to be when you can get up and get one of these four editions of the game. Very interested to see what's in the Ellie edition. I'm assuming maybe some kind of clicker statue, uh, something along those lines. That tends to be uh, the general move for these games specifically. But exciting times nonetheless. Exciting times nonetheless. However, maybe you want to play stuff on the Nintendo Switch because... There is a new console coming out, according to many, many rumors. The Nintendo Switch Mini will reportedly have a 1080p display more powerful than the Nintendo Switch. Now, this is kind of building off, as I said, uh, of a story that we talked about last week. It's a pretty big piece of news because, again, the Nintendo Switch is so popular in today's day and age that a brand new model of it uh, would potentially even go ahead and, and, and push more people to go out and buy maybe a second console even, depending on the specs that it is showing off. The Nintendo Switch Mini and Nintendo Switch Pro have been rumored and reported on the industry since last year. To add to the rumor mill, a Forbes contributor recently posted an article about how Google Stadia would benefit from being on Nintendo Switch. In this article, the Forbes contributor mentioned never-before-seen Nintendo Switch Mini information. According to him, the rumored Nintendo Switch Mini would deliver a 1080p mobile gaming experience. It is apparently built as a portable-first Nintendo Switch. The Joy-Cons will be locked to the main body of the Nintendo Switch Mini. This device will feature a better battery life, a 1080p display, and a meaningful upgrade to the graphics and mobile mode. He also mentioned the rumored Nintendo Switch Pro in this article, describing it as an upgraded standard Nintendo Switch. No further details were shared on the rumored Nintendo Switch Pro. And of course, there's the direct quote, if you did want to read that, which says, the new mini Nintendo Switch will take advantage of a two generations of die shrinks to its NVIDIA Tegra processor to deliver 1080p mobile gaming to a broader audience. And of course, they go on to talk more about the stuff that we just discussed. Now, the big question here, 
How is this thing actually possible? Because if this description is accurate and if it is reflective of what you're going to be getting with the next Nintendo Switch or a handheld first Nintendo Switch, as the article does say, you have better graphics, you have a higher resolution screen, and you have better battery life. That's the trifecta of improving your hardware, but unfortunately the trifecta sounds very much so unrealistic because again, it's just been a couple of years since the Nintendo Switch is coming out. And, and, and I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying that what is being described in this, in this article is impossible. I'm saying that it's improbable for Nintendo. Uh, and I hate to be the guy to point it out, but exactly what Nintendo does with their hardware is all kind of up to Nintendo. And it's pretty successful either way, nine times out of 10, the one time out of 10 being the Wii U. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't see this being the way that they end up showing off the next Nintendo Switch. If it is 1080p, fantastic. If it is handheld first, the best move they could possibly make. But again, these are all rumors. I'm still very speculative uh, when it comes to what exactly the next piece of Nintendo hardware is going to entail. Because so much could happen, but so little could happen as well. Now, when it comes to a handheld first model of the Nintendo Switch, I could just as easily uh, see them releasing a bundle without the dock. Uh, and, and then whenever you're talking about the Nintendo Switch Pro, uh, release one that is specifically built to work better with the dock. It could be a variety of different things. Uh, but the reports are saying that a 1080p uh, better graphics enhanced Nintendo Switch could be coming out later this year. And so, of course, we will see what happens, but that is a generic mock-up of it that looks shockingly like a PlayStation Vita, which makes me really happy because I loved, loved the Vita. Uh, but again, yet to be seen as of today. However, Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be a big game for 2020, and guess what? It is selling like hotcakes with pre-orders, even on PC, where pre-orders tend to not exactly be the most popular subject in the community. But they're selling very well on GOG. A third of Cyberpunk 2077 digital pre-orders were made on GOG. The PC digital store owned by Cyberpunk 2077 developer CD Projekt Red has so far secured a big share of the game's pre-orders. CD Projekt Red has announced that one-third of Cyberpunk 2077's PC digital pre-orders so far have been made on GOG. And of course, that was revealed via Twitter thanking fans for their support. Being fully owned by CD Projekt, all sales made on GOG give 100% of profits back to the developer, meaning it won't have to pay a cut in the same way it does to Valve or Epic Games for being on their respective stores. This is also great news for CD Projekt Red because GOG sells DRM-free copies of games, which is often rare for new AAA games. DRM-free versions don't come with any form of copy protection, which makes most publishers shy away from GOG, save for their years-old or classic games. And so... Over the console side, CD Projekt Red said it will give the console versions the same treatment as PC, after some feared PS4 and Xbox One will be hampered as compared to PC, and the game will launch on April the 16th for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. And again, looks really, really good. Now the question is why? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is that maybe on the official website it redirects directly to GOG whenever you click the PC version of the game. That makes sense to me. The other option is that PC gamers quite frankly love DRM-free games because that doesn't really affect the way uh, that they end up playing their game and they don't have to be tied to a storefront. People love that kind of thing as well. Uh, in addition to this, I don't know. I mean, maybe people just like GOG. But at the same time, I'm just glad to see the game is selling well. And maybe even if you wanted to really, really stretch for a third option, 
people want to support CD Projekt Red because the gaming industry can be incredibly hostile, uh, especially towards developers, development studios, publishers, whatever you might have. And CD Projekt Red has completely avoided any kind of negative press in the past, I would say, six to seven months, eight months. I haven't seen anybody ever say anything bad about this company. In fact, not six to seven to eight months. Uh, going all the way back to the day that The Witcher 3 launched, the fact that there was a thank you card in the box, I remember, got a lot of circulation on Twitter. And so that began this giant streak of CD Projekt Red just being a generally great gamer first company, which is a gross term. Never use the term gamer first. Uh, but it still stands today. Uh, if you do want to pick up CD Projekt Red Cyberpunk 2077, without a doubt going to be one of the biggest games of 2020. And I would go as far as to say uh, pretty much a shoe in for a game of the year contender. And yes, it is July 9th of 2019. And we're talking about game of the year for 2020. It's a good looking game. But you know what else is really good? Tetris 99, because Japan is getting a retail release of Tetris 99 to celebrate the fact that the game is so dang popular. Tetris 99 seems to be doing incredibly well for Nintendo. Not only has the Big N used the game to promote its Switch Online service, which recently hit 10 million subscribers, as we talked about on the show, but some paid DLC has added offline modes to the BR Puzzler. While we just learned that the second DLC pack will be landing before the end of 2019, it seems a new listing has confirmed a few things for this new take on an old classic. Not only will Tetris 99 be getting a physical version in Japan, but it looks like the second DLC pack will be hitting the eShop on August 9th of 2019. In an update to Nintendo of Japan's official site, the company revealed the physical edition comes with all of Tetris 99's DLC, including the recently announced second pack and a year of Nintendo Switch Online. As for what the DLC has, there is a local multiplayer mode for up to 8 players and a new mode where 2 players share a single Joy-Con. So, in addition to the best Battle Royale experience around, Tetris 99, through both of its DLC packs, contains the traditional marathon mode, a CPU Battle Royale practice mode, 8-player offline competitions, and some weird Nintendo Control gimmick mode. That sounds awesome. So there is no exact price on the version, but considering both DLC packs go for a single $10 purchase, I would guess this will likely be a $20 or $25 because of that sub. So it's pretty damn killer if you ask the author at Destructoid, and it's pretty damn killer if you ask me too. Because again, Nintendo Switch Online, a very affordable online service, however much more basic than your PlayStation Plus, much more basic than your Xbox Live, uh, but at the same time, on its way to becoming something very successful. And if you do happen to play uh, Nintendo Switch over anything else, then it's pretty much a must-have considering the amount of content that you do get uh, with Nintendo Switch Online. But in my mind, Tetris 99 is without a doubt the standout reason to have uh, any kind of Nintendo Switch Online subscription, so it's a very exciting time to see it getting a physical release in the West, and I would love, 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 love to see that coming out here. But at the same time, I suppose we will just have to wait and see. Uh, but DLC, always a good addition to the game. And it's cool to see Tetris 99 continuing to get the love that it deserves. Because whenever the game first launched, uh, it was kind of like a stealth launch where just all of a sudden BR Tetris. And immediately I thought, oh, that's a horrible idea. But the more you watch it, the more you enjoy it, the better it gets. Uh, and so, hopefully, it will continue to do well. Because, man, do I love that game. However, you know what else is really good? Turek. However, the new game might not be for you because the N64 Dino Hunter Turek is returning as a 2D game. A cute 2D game at that. 
Gritty Dinosaur Slaughter Series Turk is getting a new entry, a cute 2D shooter called Turk Escape from the Lost Valley. Instead of shotgunning out meaty chunks of dino steak from your reptilian foe's face, Pillow Pig Games version has you engage in light platforming while you fire upon cute T-Rexes with a bow and arrow. Clearly, Needless to say, this is a very different take on the Turk franchise from what we are used to, and it is born out of something called the Universal Game Dev Challenge. Back in May, the movie-making rights holder challenged indie teams to make games out of properties they own. Finalists included offbeat takes on the franchises such as Back to the Future, Battlestar Galactica, and Voltron. Last night, entries for Turk Escape from the Lost Valley and puzzle strategy game Voltron Cubes of Ulcarium popped up on Steam with a 25th of July release date published under the new Universal Studios Interactive Entertainment label. The original Turk launched for the N64 back in 1997 to a Raptor US reception, and a string of sequels quickly followed. The series was then rebooted in 2008, but this new version struggled, and a further sequel was canned. Perhaps Turk Escape from the Lost Valley will bring Turk back from extinction. Haha, <laughs> good joke guys, because extinction and dinosaurs. Uh, but, again, maybe this game isn't for you. At the same time, it could be for somebody else. You have to keep these things in mind. Because whenever somebody thinks about a brand new turret game, not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind, needless to say, is a slightly platformy, strategy-esque, action-esque game. It's a weird little, a weird little piece of art here. Uh, but I'm a big fan of the way that it looks. Now again, this is not Turek uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, in the same way that a mobile strategy-based Call of Duty title is not exactly a Call of Duty game. But at the same time, I kind of have to appreciate what it is, and for what it's worth, it looks like it could be a pretty good experience uh, if you do take into account that it's a totally different experience than what you get with the original Turek. Uh, but if you do want to dive in and give it a shot again, coming up the 25th of July, according to a Steam page. And maybe Dr. Disrespect will play it, but I doubt it. But if he does, he could because he's back on Twitch. Dr. Disrespect's return to Twitch brings big numbers and donations. It's a big day for the doc. Today, after nearly a month of absence following his E3 bathroom stream suspension, Dr. Disrespect returned to Twitch. His suspension lasted two weeks, during which he released a series of trailers for his return and tweeted an awkwardly worded apology on behalf of the Dr. Disrespect brand. The result of all that hype? 80,000 concurrent viewers and some eye-popping donations. Today's stream began with Doc introducing his new arena, aka a green screen graphic of a futuristic arena slathered in buckets of red and black. He showed off a new stream intro and drove in a digital car while talking on the phone, jokingly promising to pay somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars for the new intro. He also dropped in advertisements for a subscriber program and chugged from a container of Dr. Disrespect branded G Fuel. He stayed in intro mode for about 30 minutes, during which he actually hit 80,000 viewers, making him the most watched streamer who was live on Twitch at the time. For perspective, Ninja pulled in around 36,000 during this time period, while a Russian esports event managed a little over 50,000. His viewer count quickly plateaued, however, and proceeded to slowly deflate once Doc started playing Player Unknown's Battlegrounds with other streamers, eventually leveling out at around 40,000 concurrent viewers by the time the author, Nathan Grayson, stopped watching. As a publication, the stream was ongoing. This is still notably more than his stream prior to E3, which had been peaking at around 20,000 viewers for the day, but again, it will probably drop back down to around there. 
Early on in today's stream, viewers complained about Dr. Disrespect's mic volume, to which he replied that he'd fired his director, Alex, over his role in the E3 bathroom incident. A lot of you are probably wondering what happened to Alex, he said. Obviously, Twitch would not allow me to bring him back as part of the team. We got rid of him. I just kicked him out of the stream. Saves me a lot of money anyways. I can do all this by myself, so that's exactly what I'm doing. Handling the music, handling the transitions, handling everything, ladies and gentlemen. And then maybe one day, we'll find a director. It's never been clear if Alex is a real person or a running joke. Doc has fired him on numerous occasions over the years. Dr. Disrespect's focus seemed noticeably split today. Among other things, he failed to immediately call out a handful of donations, something for which he later poked fun at himself by yelling at himself in a green screen mirror. The stream's ongoing early goings were loaded with donations, many were in the $25 to $50 range, but others reached $100, $300, and even $500, and the latter got a loud reaction from Doc. $500, he shouted. That's too much. But then he probably took it anyway. Dr. Disrespect acknowledged that his stream overlay no longer contains sponsorships from hardware company Asus or its subsidiary Republic of Gamers. Doc did not chalk this up to the bathroom stream, which he didn't mention, but instead said their deal had come to a nice mutual conclusion. The bathroom stream did briefly come up when Doc revealed that an emote he had designed that referenced it, which depicted him peeking over a bathroom stall, got rejected by Twitch. Most of the stream, however, was business as usual. And of course, he went ahead and, and promoted what's going on later in 2019. The article goes on, but at the end of the day, feels good to be back, Twitch, he said with a grin as donations and subscriptions poured in. And so, of course, a lot of people in the industry talking about Twitch and the power that influencers have in the industry and also over the larger gaming audience now because streaming has become such a ubiquitous part of streaming culture and gaming culture. And so it's worth discussing the fact that somebody is coming back from a very long break uh, after the E3 bathroom debacle that we had with Dr. Disrespect. It certainly doesn't uh, paint a pretty picture whenever you see tons of donations and subscriptions pouring in directly after somebody was punished for something they did. But that's the nature of the streaming industry today, and it's something that has to be considered if Twitch actually wants to punish streamers for breaking their TOS, the terms of service. Uh, because even when somebody is banned from Twitch temporarily, even when somebody is deplatformed, the fact that there is an impending moment that they will come back, that creates something of a, an anticipation, it creates something of an excitement in the minds of people uh, that really does go against the entire motivation of banning somebody. Uh, it's almost, in a way, uh, like a cult following where the leader has been dispersed, the leader has been imprisoned, the leader has died or something, and you think that one day they will be... It's a weird situation all around. Uh, but again, you see it in action right here with Dr. Disrespect stream. So, that being said, if you do want to check out Dr. Disrespect, he is back on Twitch after the month-ish long ban uh, after E3 2019. However, maybe you want to step up your shoe game. That's completely unrelated to anything we've talked about, but I did want to show off these brand new Nike Nintendo 64 sneakers because, man, these things look a little bit cool. An upcoming colorway of Nike's Air Max 97 doesn't make an official mention of the console. Gotta keep those lawyers at arm's length, but its inspiration is clear. This is a Nintendo 64 sneaker. The colorway, which appears to be drawing influence from the N64 logo and controller matched with the sneaker's vintage, might have been enough of a nod, but the shoe goes a bit further than that, adding the Nintendo-style Air Max logo at the heel, putting power and reset buttons on the tongue and a modified ESRB logo on its insoles. And so, of course, you can see all of this uh, in the pictures if you are watching the video version of the program. These shoes are releasing at the end of summer for $160. Older heads might remember it. 
that this is not the first time the Air Max shoe has been dabbed with a Nintendo console. Back in 2008, Nike released one based on the NES, and 11 years on, it has aged very, very nicely. Uh, but again, you see the Air Max logo, which is clearly Nintendo branded. Uh, you see the power and reset buttons, which clearly look like Nintendo fonts. Uh, you see the insole, which is an ESRB logo. All of this is coming together to make a pretty cool gaming-themed shoe. Uh, but again, if you do want to check it out, coming out later on this summer for 160 bones if you did want to step up your shoe game and have a shoe with gaming references. I tried to tie that all together, and I think I did it pretty well. But that rounds out today's episode of Caffeinate. Of course, if you are brand new to the program, I do hope you enjoyed what I brought to the table today. It's always a pleasure to bring you the hottest gaming news five days a week, Monday through Friday around 7 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll see about the times going forward because life is going to be different. Of course, as I said at the beginning of the show, moved into a new apartment, got a new kind of a vibe going right now. So we will definitely keep you up to date and informed on Twitter.com slash guy. But 7 a.m. is still the plan. Live on Twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams. Then taken down, put up on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media and podcast services around the world. But until next time, you guys have a fantastic rest of your day. I will talk to you soon and peace.